Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864 864- Two eight eight one six two six, or you can connect with us through our website, hope at crossroads dot org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads dot org. And now here's this week's message. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. And before we start our service, I just wonder if you need prayer this morning. We're going to meet up here at the front. If you want to slip out of your seat and gather here, anybody want to pray together this morning? Come on down. Come on down. We will pray together this morning. I know a lot of needs represented in our church family today. We want to be remembering those to the Lord. Bring those requests to Him. A lot of needs in our church family. Probably a lot of needs still in the seats. We want to pray for you this morning too. Would you pray with me this morning? Fathers, we bow our heads in this place today. We recognize, Lord, that we worship you. There's none like you. Lord, this morning for friends that are here at the front, God, we know there are many needs represented today. Lord, we come to the front just symbolically to say, Lord, we stand before you and with you today because, Lord, we need your intervention in many situations. Family situations, Lord, and health situations, maybe financial situations. Lord, thank you this morning we can bring our requests to you. I'm reminded that Paul said we can cast our every care upon you because you care for us. And so, Lord, this morning, that's what we do. We lay those requests at your feet. Many of the things that are on our hearts and minds today, without the intervention of God, quite honestly, there's nothing that can be done. So, Lord, I pray you'd move. The needs that are represented here meet every need according to your riches in Christ Jesus. That when we look back at those needs and the result and the fruit, we would be able to clearly point to that and say, look what God did. Thank you for the power of prayer and the privilege to pray together as a church family. We, We don't take that for granted, Lord. Help us to do it more often. Not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. May we remember the needs of our friends in this place. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you so much. If you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Timothy as we continue our study there this morning. And while you're turning there, let me remind you, please look at your bulletin. A lot of announcements going on in the life of our church. Uh, One is this Tuesday, we have our senior adult luncheon. Uh, Just a slight correction in the bulletin, bring a covered dish. It says bring a dessert. If that's all you bring, you're going to be eating a lot of sugar and a lot of dessert because that's all that's going to be here. So bring a covered dish. Uh, If you want to bring a dessert, you can. Uh, I have a couple of special folks that are here this morning uh, on this very special Mother's Day. Uh, My mom-in-law is here. Happy Mother's Day, mother-in-law. Glad that you're here. And my dad-in-law is here, and my mom and dad, and my sister is here. Happy Mother's Day, sis. Good to see you. And my mom is here. She wanted to say a few words this morning, so I'm going to invite her to come on up here to the front if you want for a minute. And uh, she wanted just to share a word. I know you all have been praying, speaking of prayer, for her for, wow, almost, almost a year. Almost a year, I think. And... Uh, I cannot express my thank you to you as a church family enough for those prayers that you have prayed uh, for her and our family. So she wanted just to share a few words with you this morning. I hope I'm talking loud enough. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. Uh, I want to thank you for your prayers, your cards, 
your gifts from Crossroads family over this past year. It has been a long journey. Thank you for supporting Jack and his family during this time also. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalms 91, and it talks about how the Lord is our sustainer, our deliverer, our rescuer, our shield, and he is. And many times he reminded me of that while I was laying in that bed and then trying to take steps that seemed almost impossible at times. But I can't tell you that if we let it and we allow it, that adversity will advance your spiritual life. So whatever you're going through, it will. And I also can tell you that there is an intimacy with God that can only be known through deep suffering if you seek his face. And, of course, at first I couldn't do a lot of reading, but I'm a big reader. And so for the past several months, I've been able, or two or three months, to pick back up on my reading. And I don't know if you've ever read Laura Story's little booklet, Sometimes Blessings Come Through Raindrops. But she says sometimes our senseless suffer, our suffering seems senseless, but actually it's blessings in disguise. Mm. And we just can't see it right then. And... Uh, of course, this journey began for me a year ago, and it, actually, it was this exact weekend. It was Mother's Day weekend. Bill and I had gone to Wilmington to Jennifer's daughter's graduation at UNC Wilmington, and it was there that I really, really experienced difficulty in swallowing. I could not swallow. Oh, every meal was difficult. And uh, so as a result of that and seeing doctors... I wound up in the hospital in mid-July, and it was there that I had my first EGD, and that's, of course, when they go down and look. And they thought I had esophageal cancer, and I did have cancer in my esophagus and in my stomach, but it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and it was aggressive type. And I was sent to uh, a wonderful oncologist. God God just worked all that out. And uh, I saw him uh, August the 4th of last year, and he told me that he wanted and we needed to begin chemotherapy within a week. And we all know the healthcare system. And so I thought, well, that's not going to be possible, but, you know, hmm. we'll see. Well, I want you to know that between that Wednesday... And the next Wednesday when I had chemotherapy, my first chemo, I had had my portacath inserted. I had had my echo. I had had my bone marrow. I had had my PET scan. And there I was getting my chemo exactly a week later. God just worked through all that. And he talked to me about many things. And after the third chemo, I was to have a PET scan repeated. And if it did not show improvement, then we would talk about palliative care and hospice but if it did show any improvement at all then we would continue which we did and I finished my chemo December the 10th and I was declared cancer free on February the 2nd after another PET scan and I just had my another PET scan April 29th a couple of Fridays ago And on May the 4th, I saw him, and I'm also still cancer-free. This will be my regimen for a year or so. But God has done so much for me. But the main thing I want to tell you is it's not what cancer does to you. It's what cancer can do for you. And briefly, these are some things it did for me. It increased my faith tremendously. I had told Lauren had come to see me right before she went to Virginia Beach. And I told her about my favorite verse, uh, Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that I would like to have that on my wall. And so she ordered it, and Jack and Lynette came over and put it up above my bathroom door. And that verse, I bet I looked at that verse and said that verse hundreds, maybe thousands of times over this past year 
but my faith has tremendously increased. And the second thing it did for me <clears throat> was it changed my prayer life. Now, I've always considered myself a prayer warrior, and I guess we most of us believers do, but I'm telling you, I can tell you, prayer works. Whatever it is you're praying for, you ask God for it, and if he decides, he'll give it to you. I don't believe that Christians and the church really understand the power of intercessory prayer. I just don't believe we do. You know, God's as concerned about your work list as he has as cancer. And that would be one thing that I would just encourage you. I've had people pray for me all just from coast to coast, continent to continent. And I felt those prayers. And uh, I read a quote by Andrew Mary who said, where there is prayer, there is much of the Spirit. Where there is much of the Spirit, there is a tremendous release of power. And so I believe that. I believe that from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And that's another thing it did for me. And it also showed me what true support is. And I could go on and on about how I've been supported from Bill, I didn't know if he could handle all this with me, but he did. I could tell you story after story, and my children, my sisters, and many other people. The other thing that cancer did for me, or did, I want you to know about cancer or any other hardship for that matter, God can use it for somebody else. And one of the things that came out of my cancer was, cancer's real heavy in my family as it is in Bill's, but my youngest sister had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2002. And uh, hers was a different type, different place. But she had been released by her oncologist several, several years ago, and she was so uneasy, has been uneasy for several years. But this opened the door for her to see my doctor, Dr. Allwine, I asked him about it. And so now she has him following her up and she saw him not long ago. One of my favorite songs now is I Believe For It, that Jack played for me one time at chemo or either fluids, I can't remember. But that became my theme song. So I would just encourage you to pray for whatever it is, for your building program, for any little thing that you consider literal in your life, and believe for it. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, church family. I'm a some product. my mom and dad so praise the Lord 1st Timothy chapter 2 1st Timothy chapter 2 if you've been following along you know that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy to give him some instructions and some counsel as he was left to serve in the church at Ephesus and uh, apparently there were a lot of things going on in the church of Ephesus that needed addressing Timothy perhaps wanted to run away from those. We talked about over the last couple of weeks how Paul was his mentor and was encouraging him and urging him to stay in his position that God had given for him, his place of service. Uh, and then we get to chapter 2 and Paul shifts his instructions and he begins to talk about worship in the house of God. How do we behave in the house of God? How do we serve? What do we do? Apparently there was problems in Ephesus with the way people worshipped. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at maybe some takeaways from us. Some people believe that some of these things that were in uh, Ephesus were specific to what was happening in that church. And uh, perhaps some of what we're going to read through today, it's controversial, some of these things that we're going to address today. Some people ask the question, are these things that Paul suggests and instructs to Timothy to tell the church at Ephesus, are they just for the church at Ephesus or are they for the church in 2022. So we're going to talk about a little bit 
about that this morning. So let's read it together. Uh, It's a few short verses here in chapter 2. Paul says this, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. My mom was just talking about that, the power of prayer. A lot of different ways you can pray. You can have petitions, you can have thanksgivings, you can have entreaties, but the power of prayer. And Paul says, For the kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. And for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying, he says. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Then he turns his attention to the ladies. Good morning, ladies. Hang on to your seatbelt. We're going to dive into interpreting what he says right here in these verses. He says, likewise, I want women... To adorn themselves with proper clothing, modesty, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as befits women, making a claim to godliness. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was at, no, no nudging your wife, husbands, on that one. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being quite deceived, fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. So much in this passage of Scripture talking about how we behave in worship. Keep in mind as we go through these verses, he's talking about how we behave in worship, in the church experience. So let's not make generalities and apply that to all aspects of life. Paul is specifically talking about church worship in this, in this chapter and in these verses. So let's talk about it a little bit. First thing he says, uh, and the first thing that should be a part of our worship is prayer. We've been talking about that already, prayer. All kinds of prayers. And this, he even goes on to say who we should pray for in verse 2. Even kings, even leaders, even those in authority uh, above us. Most, most of us find it easy to pray for families, friends, and loved ones. But it doesn't have to end there, and it shouldn't end there. We also have to pray for our enemies. And we live in a very crazy time in our world right now where there is a lot of divisiveness and there is a lot of... Uh, Anonymity in each other. But the Bible tells us we're supposed to pray for everybody. So in this worship experience that he is talking about and giving instructions to the church at Ephesus, he's saying you need to pray for, you need to remember the importance of prayer, but you need to pray for everyone, even those in authority. Pray for those in authority. We should give thanks, by the way, for those that are in authority. I know sometimes that's hard to think of when you think about what's going on in our world, especially in political circles. But if we believe the sovereignty of God, and Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 13, that God has put the government officials around us, He has appointed them for this particular season, then we need to be praying for those people. Why should we pray? Well, good good question. Paul tells us why we should pray. And it's interesting, he gets into the heart of the matter in verses 3 and 4. He says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Why should we pray? Because he desires all men to be saved. He also desires all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. Matthew's Gospel talks about that, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that everyone should come to the knowledge of the truth and come to know Jesus. And part of our job in corporate worship, Paul is saying, not just to the church at Ephesus, I believe, but to the church today is, and again, we just talked about that, is the power of prayer. Prayer for people to be saved. Prayer for people to come to the knowledge of the truth. When's the last time you or I prayed for someone to be saved or come to the knowledge of the truth? should be a daily occurrence. 
Because most of us hopefully know a handful of people at least that don't know Jesus. And that's part of our instruction here. How are they saved? It's interesting. Paul tells us that, that answer too in verse 5. There is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. It's, it's interesting, and we'll discover this as we go through First Timothy. Almost in every chapter, Paul works the importance of the gospel in there. Almost in every chapter, he talks about the importance of the gospel. If you remember back in chapter 1, he talked about it's a trustworthy saying. Deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, verse 15. Then he gets to chapter 2, and it's like, in case you missed it, I'm going to go through the gospel story again. Because that's the paramount thing that I want you to get. And he says... There is one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom. He's given us another reminder of the power of the gospel. And in this modern world in which we live in in 2022, there is a lot of people that would think that any road leads to God as long as you're sincere about it. As long as you have a good conscience and you really believe what you believe, then all roads lead to God. But the Bible actually argues against that. There are many examples. You think about in the book of Luke, the Pharisee and the tax collector. They came to to God sincerely, but one was accepted and one was not accepted. You think about the rich young ruler that came to Jesus late at night when nobody else was around and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he had everything that he could have, and Jesus gave him instructions about what he needed to do. But he walked away uh, rejected, dejected, because he did not give up everything to follow Jesus. Proverbs says it this way. Great verse for us in our modern day culture that we live in. Proverbs 14. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. We've got some things that are going on in our country. uh, Things that are about to be overturned on a national stage. Boy, there's a group of people that aren't happy about that. There's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, its way is death. And Paul is reminding us and reminding this church at Ephesus with some specific instructions about worship. But then he turns his attention to something that sounds a little bit different on the surface because he starts talking and addressing the men. And here's what he says. I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands. Why does he start with the men? Because... He's talking in the context of the church, and in the context of the church, men are supposed to lead the way. Okay, it's kind of quiet in here. I know it's Mother's Day. Maybe you didn't want to offend the moms in the room by saying amen. Men are supposed to lead the way. That's according to God's Word. Not according to Jack, but according to God's Word. He says to us, therefore I want men in every place to pray Lifting up holy hands. He is actually assuming, as he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he is assuming that the men are leading out front in their congregation, that they are leading the way. And so he's giving them some instructions about how to do that. Lifting up holy hands, which was a common posture of prayer in ancient centuries. I know now you lift up holy hands and all of a sudden we think, "Uh uh-oh, we've gone Pentecostal. That's not a Pentecostal thing, by the way. That's a biblical thing. And when they entered the temple or they entered to worship, they entered with holy hands, lifting up their holy hands. Why? For two reasons. One, as a sign of surrender. And two, to lift up their hands, holy hands, meaning pure hands, that they had prayed and asked God to present themselves as clean before Him. So, holy hands, he's asking us, not without, he says in that verse 8, Without wrath and dissension, not with, uh, some translations say, not with an argumentative spirit. Apparently what was going on at Ephesus, we're going to discover, was there was a lot of arguments between the men and the women. Now, that's one of my questions when I get to heaven. I'm going to ask Paul, what in the world were the men and women arguing about at Ephesus? And he's probably going to say the color of the carpet. No, I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know what he's going to say. Maybe he's going to say they were arguing about the music. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to say. But that's one of my questions because we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But apparently there was this argument about the roles of men and women in the context of the worship experience, in corporate worship as they came together to worship. And Paul was trying to help Timothy by 
giving him some instructions to pass along. And so he starts with the men. But then he turns his attention to the ladies. And he says, likewise. And the likewise is connected with verse 8. It doesn't mean that the men come in with holy hands and they come in with praying. It also means likewise the women should also be coming in with an attitude of prayer and also with holy hands. But then some, also some additional instructions that he gives there. He says, with proper clothing, modesty, discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. Now, are you saying, Pastor Jack, nobody in here needs to have on pearls? Nobody this morning needs to have on costly garments? That's not what he's saying. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But what he is saying to that particular group at the time is, apparently, one of the issues that the women had was not dressing modestly. Could that be applied to 2022 in some congregations? Yes, indeed, it could. Thankfully, I don't see that situation here at Crossroads. Can you imagine being the pastor and preaching and being assigned the task of preaching? And as you scope out across the congregation, you see women who are not dressed modestly. That would be a distraction, would it not? And so Paul is giving them some instructions and he says... But rather, in verse 10, by means of good works as befits women, making a claim to godliness. Then he gets into some verses that have been in heated debate in the life of the church. Because we pull these things out of context. And one, of, one of the challenges that we had, I've mentioned to you before, when we go through a book of the Bible, it would be real easy as one of the main teaching pastors here just to go, we're going to kind of skip over that verse. And we're going to move on to the, to the next meteor passage that's in the next chapter. But that's not doing due diligence to the Word of God. So we have to address some of these things that the Bible talks about. And see what in the world Paul is trying to say here. Because he says to women in verse 11, Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Now let's think about these words and let's actually look at what... Some of you husbands are already punching your wives. Don't, don't take it out of context. Keep in mind, he's talking about in, in church worship in these verses. So he says that a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. That word submission is all throughout a lot of Paul's letters we've talked about. He uses words that are kind of military. They have kind of their roots in the military and so in, in a military term. And so he's saying... Submission is actually another way to say it would be to be under the rank of men. Has nothing to do with uh, being uh, degrading to women, but it has everything to do with respecting and acknowledging the authority as God has set it up. It certainly does not mean men are more spiritual than women, or that women are inferior to men. As a matter of fact, I would I would venture to say in most of church life. Generally speaking, across our country, unfortunately, women are probably more spiritual than men. Maybe that was what was happening in Ephesus. Maybe the women were more willing to step up in authority than the men were. And Paul had to put that into check and say, let me explain here biblically actually the way this should be. I don't know. I'm going to ask that question. One of my questions when I get to heaven. I got a list of about a couple thousand. You guys keeping your list of questions? You won't need them, by the way, when you get to heaven. You'll be overjoyed and in his presence you'll forget all those questions. But it's nice to make a mental list, isn't it? So he's talking about submission. We studied this actually when we were reading the book of Genesis. We, we studied about submission. It's interesting to me, and if you haven't noticed this, especially if you're a young person under the age of 20, you need to kind of fine-tune your spiritual ears and eyes and kind of see what's happening in our world. Because since about the 1960s, there's been this massive shift in the way we see and accept authority. And it's drifted into the church in America. Citizens don't have the same respect for the government. Students don't have the same respect for teachers. Children don't have the same respect for parents. Children can actually sue parents now when parents are trying to tell them to do what's right and wrong. Employees don't have the same respect for employers. Christians don't have the same respect for the church. I mean, I could give you a laundry list of the, of the examples of the way Christians don't appreciate the authority of the church. Again, it's not thus saith Jack, it's thus saith the Lord. It's what the Bible says. It's interesting to me. We live in a culture where 
If you're a part of a church family and you're a member of a church, the interpretation for most believers, thank God this is not the case at Crossroads for the most part, but the interpretation of most believers is, well, if I want to go to church, I will. You don't understand biblical Christianity. That's your thought. Because the authority that God has given the church and the leadership to help us grow as disciples is from Him the way He set this up. So Paul is trying to go through some of these things and explain to us that there is a a system, there are some things that are supposed to happen in the house of God as we worship, and some of those things are prayer. Some of those things are the gospel is important. Some of those things are preparation. And a lot of what he's saying here, and the reason that he's saying it to these men and these women and giving these instructions is because there's some preparation or should be when we come into the house of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Did you prepare for worship this morning? Besides putting on your pants and your dresses and your makeup and coming to church, did you prepare for worship? God wants us to spiritually prepare. That's part of what he's saying to the men, to come in Praying, lifting up holy hands with some preparation. Preparation starts on Saturday night. It's interesting. I have a lot of people I see online. Couldn't get up and go to church this morning, blah, blah, blah. I drive through my subdivision. They're out cutting grass. You're able to get up and do that. Preparation for worship starts Saturday. Preparing our heart, our mind, getting ready to be engaged. And some of what Paul is saying here is tied to preparation. A little bit different from what he's saying to the people at Ephesus, he's talking about spiritual preparation of, to the ladies of clothing. Spiritual preparation of the men to be ready, lifting up their holy hands. What is he saying here in these verses? Because then he gets, it sounds like he's getting a little divisive. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. And we got to keep in mind, Paul is dealing here with teaching in the church setting. He's not addressing things like civil government, schools, work. He's talking about in the church context right here. And if you dig back and you dig a little on what he's saying and you find the context, which by the way, context is king. Anytime you read things in the Bible, you have to find out what the context is. Who is he writing to? What's going on in that community? What's he trying to say? Because I can pull any verse out of the Bible and make the Bible say anything that I want. And by the way, that's what's happening in 2022 in our world. Those Christians believe in slavery. Those Christians believe this. Those Christians believe that. I hear that all the time, what people say. It's like, have you read the whole Bible? Are you just pulling out some verse to make it fit what it is you think we believe? So we've got to know what the context is. And he says there in verse 11, let a woman quietly receive instruction. That word quietly doesn't mean be silent. It's actually not a good translation. If you go back and look at the original language in the Greek, it, it really means with a quiet demeanor or a gentle spirit, much like the phrase that's used in 1 Peter chapter 3. So in church, what he's saying is a woman and a man for this part, by the way, Our submission should be to God first, Scripture second, and third, the sermon. Because there there may be time, hopefully not in this pulpit, but there may be time if you get a chance to visit other churches or if you go to other churches where you may not hear the Word of God preached. So he's not saying listen quietly to everything that comes from from the guy up front preaching and take it hook, line, and sinker. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, think about the authority, listen quietly. Because if the pastor says something that contradicts Scripture, the women should contradict it. The women should not believe it. The man should not submit to it either. Some, uh, since modern preaching across our land sometimes can have some erroneous ideas connected with it or some feel-good theology in it, we all need to, and I've mentioned this to you before as one of the pastors here, we all need to take what we hear from the pulpit and make sure it's from God's Word. You need to do your own homework and not just rely on somebody to spoon-feed you. Say, Pastor Jack, does that mean I need to watch what you say? I don't know. You might should. 
I try to prepare. I try to be ready. I try to do my homework. I try to study. I don't know what was going on in the church at Ephesus. Again, we don't know, but apparently there were a lot of complications, and Paul is trying to address them and give Timothy some assistance here. And so he's not necessarily saying, women, sit down and be quiet. That's how we interpret it. That's not what he's saying. Matter of fact, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to study that sometime and jot that down in your notes, Paul permitted women to speak in worship meetings. But now here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, he's saying be silent or have a quiet demeanor. Apparently there's a couple of different situations going on. The church at Corinth and the church at Ephesus, there's some different things happening. What were they? I don't know all of them. And there's evidence Even from some of these things like what he says about modesty and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold back in verse 9. There's evidence uh, that some of the commands in Scripture that we see, like that one right there, don't apply today. I hear us sometimes mistakenly say, I'm going to follow every instruction in the Word of God. I hope not. Because some of the instructions and commands of God's Word were for for a specific time and place and to a specific group of people. You say, give me an example, Pastor Jack. Well, otherwise in Scripture there's a place that says that women are supposed to cover their heads when they pray in church today. Anybody got a covering on their head? Any woman? Don't see anybody. Bible also says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Nobody this morning gave me a kiss this morning when you came to church. I am offended. So we have to interpret Scripture within Scripture. You know what that calls for? That calls for doing homework. That calls for digging into this book. It calls for reading. It calls for studying and not just listening to one person and taking what they say. And that's kind of what Paul is trying to get to. So what is he trying to say? Paul didn't believe that a woman must be silent because he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the woman could pray and actually prophesy in a worship service. He's he's saying there, let a woman, the the emphasis in verse 11, it's interesting how in our modern interpretation sometimes we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. You ever heard it said that way? And what Paul is saying there, the emphasis in that verse actually is, let a woman receive instruction. That's where the emphasis is in the original language. And so what he's saying is... uh, Paul wants Christian women to learn. By the way, that's a very important point because that was not a practice that was generally encouraged among the Jewish culture for women to learn. Women were not supposed to learn. And now Paul is saying, no, I'm actually wanting women to learn. Be quiet. Don't be fussing and fighting with each other. Act in a quiet demeanor so even the women can learn. That's a better interpretation of what he's saying. He's not calling for a... A button lip, but for quiet receptivity to the authority that's going on. Authority, that's another key word. The understanding of that word is, has to be connected with what the rest of the Bible says about authority. And there are all kinds of places throughout Paul's letters where he talks about authority and even submissiveness. The submissiveness, the word submission that he's using in that verse, by the way, is the same uh, Same word that he used in Ephesians chapter 5. We remember going through the book of Ephesians. When we went through the book of Ephesians chapter 5, it's the same word there where he says, mutual submission from a husband to a wife and a wife to a husband. So as you read these verses, it's very... It's very easy if you don't know the whole context of the Bible and you don't know the character of Paul and know that everything that says, Paul has said is to all of a sudden say, well, Paul hated ladies. He's wanting them to be quiet. You don't understand all the, what Paul's trying to say here. And again, he's talking about primarily in the church setting to these, this group of people. He's talking about teaching. And he talks about roles in the church And he's getting ready to get into that into verse 12. And by the way, teaching is more than downloading information. Teaching is about relationships. One of the great things that I love about our small group teachers and our Sunday school leaders in this church is to them it's more than just teaching. That's an important role. We're actually going to talk about that next week when we get into 1 Timothy chapter 3 because Paul goes on to add some more requirements to those of us who say we want to be teachers. He's giving us some instruction and some guidance. 
So what is he saying about teaching? Is he saying women can't teach? Because in verse 12 he says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Again, it's the same Greek words in there. Quiet doesn't mean be button-lit. doesn't mean sit in silence. What is he saying? Is he saying women can't teach? No, he's saying women come under the authority of the men. And apparently the church that he's writing to, the women were usurping the authority of the men. And some people take this verse out of context and say, well, women can't teach. Just so you know, if you're visiting this morning, we have a lot of women teachers in this church. And just so you know, a lot of the women in this church teach the Bible better than I do. Just so you know. So that's not what Paul's saying. He's going to talk about, again, more of this in chapter 3 when we get into chapter 3. Women can teach. As a matter of fact, a lot of the eminent professors, so to speak, of Christianity in the days of the apostles, the book of Acts tells us about those women. Perhaps the reason we have a lot of women teaching today, by the way, is because we, have, we as men have not stepped into our rightful place of leadership. We have a great group of men at Crossroads. Are we perfect? No. Could we do better? Yes. So what is he trying to say? Because then he goes on and elaborates a little bit over this. It says in verse 13, well, let's read them together. I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet, because it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Now, at first reading, you may read that and think he's kind of sending a zinger. Like, woman, be quiet. You were the one who walked us into sin in the first place. And that's how some people interpret it incorrectly. He says, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being quite deceived, fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity and self-restraint. So why does he say these things? Quickly, let me try to share with you some controversial things and bring some sense of it as best I can in the remaining couple minutes that we have here. Why these roles? We said as we studied the book of Genesis that we as men and we as women are equal before God, but we have different functions. And men and women, listen closely, because our world is radically trying to change the roles of men and women. Not just in the church, but in every part of the world and every part of the society. So it's important that we in the church... Is, is, this, is this passage appropriate today? Yes. Because it's important that we in the church of all places get the role of men and women correct because the rest of our culture is far from doing what God's Word tells us to do. And so what is he saying? Why does he bring up, why does he go all the way back to Genesis and bring up Adam and Eve? Is it to be a zinger? Is it just to say, look what, look what Eve did. The ladies is the one who led us astray. If that's your interpretation, you've got to dig a little bit deeper. He gives us really two reasons why he's saying that men should lead the way in the church. The first reason is because in creation, that's the way God created. He created Adam and then he created Eve. But then he's secondly saying it's because of the fall. But he's not putting all of the attention on women. It looks like it in this particular passage. If you just zone in on these couple verses and you don't look at the whole context of God's word, it might appear that way, but that's not what he's saying. It was in the fall, by the way, go back and look at it, Genesis chapter 3, where the woman was deceived. First Timothy is talking about that. The serpent deceived me. That's what the woman said. You remember in the, in the story of the fall in Genesis three seventeen. But God, if you go back and you read it, let's do it. Flip back to Genesis chapter 3. Some of you are looking at me with inquisitive looks as if maybe we need a reminder. I might need a reminder myself. Genesis chapter 3. Let's pick it up. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee walking in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me, 
She gave me from the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. But skip down to verse 17. But God said this to Adam. Because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. So what in the world is Paul trying to say to Timothy? The woman was deceived is what he's trying to say. But you know what? The instruction, what we don't read in that verse, the instruction was actually given to the man. You know why it doesn't say the man and woman were deceived? Because the man wasn't deceived. The man knew what was right and wrong and went totally against what God told him to do. And used as an excuse, the woman told me to do it. The woman didn't hear God's command. She wasn't created yet. So Adam was not deceived. He had directly received God's command. You've got to go back to chapter 2 of Genesis and you'll see it. And he willfully became the sinner who brought all of humanity into sin. Eve was just a participator. So what are you trying to say, Pastor Jack? What has that got to do with what Paul is trying to say about the church? Paul is saying, Adam was the one God appointed for religious headship. And Adam failed and listened to his wife. And in the same way, he's saying, in our setup of a church... Then at Ephesus, and I believe in 2022, men are supposed to be the head of our religious headship apart from Christ. Christ being the ultimate head of the church. Adam was the one appointed, but he listened to his wife. Did not listen to God, but listened to his wife. Then he goes on to get into the last verse, which has been... Debated by scholars all across the land. What in the world is he talking about there? Here's, here's what I believe based on study and research and in the context of God's word. Paul goes on to say, Women should be preserved through the bearing of children. If they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. I believe he's saying this, the work of the gospel restores the order of creation. What is part of that gospel? Part of that gospel was childbirth from Eve. Little did Eve know, and you've got to go back to the original Greek, because a better way to say that verse would be, women shall be preserved through the, which should be capitalized, the childbearing. In other words, the birth of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of the world, who Paul talked about just a few verses earlier, being the one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. It's interesting how Paul brings it right back around again to Jesus Christ is the most important thing. When I think about what he's trying to say to that church and maybe what he's trying to say to us here at Crossroads, how do we, how do we uh, honor what Paul has said? How do we operate when it comes to corporate worship? What should we be doing? What should be the things a part of our worship? Ultimately, what Paul is trying to say here through that whole chapter is it all centers around one person, one mediator between God and man. His name is Jesus Christ. And when you come into corporate worship, church family, what he's saying is when you focus on Jesus, there will be no man versus woman. There will be no left versus right. There will be no this versus that because we'll all be focused on the one person that matters. His name is Jesus. So I hope you're focused on him today. Do you know him? Do you know him? He is the object of our worship. That's why all those instructions to the people he's writing to are so important. Because if you're not focused on the most important thing, then your worship is just like a a clanging cymbal, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about love. Our worship is like that if we're not focused on Jesus being the main thing. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for your instruction in God's Word. Thank you for the roles that you've given us. Equal in your sight, but with different functions, different responsibilities. Equally important, Lord. As we think about our worship experience here at Crossroads, God, would you teach us? Would you teach us? Lord, the most important things I see in that passage about worship are we've got to be people of prayer. We have to be people about the gospel.
We have to do things in an orderly way. God, teach us how to do that. Thank you for the men and women in this room this morning, Lord. I pray that if there's somebody here today who doesn't know that mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, that you would speak to their heart in this moment and let them know of need of you. Dear friends, while you're praying this morning, so glad that you are here with us today. In the quietness of this moment, would you just ask the Lord this question? God, how do you want me to respond today? Am I a worshiper? Am I preparing my heart for worship? Dear friend, you, the first thing you've got to do to prepare your heart for worship is you have to give your heart and your life to Jesus. If you haven't done that today, in just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to have a closing song, a song of invitation. I'm going to invite you to just, if you want to receive the Lord today into your life, give you that opportunity to do that. You say, can I do it in my seat? Most certainly you can. We would rejoice with you this morning if you just need to walk down the aisle and let that be known publicly. Right there in the privacy of your seat, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you just simply call out to Him and say, Lord Jesus, I am in need of you. I, I, I need a mediator. Because I have sinned against God and there is only one mediator, one connector, one person that can connect me back to God and that is Jesus Christ. So I ask Him today to forgive me of my sins. And I place my trust in Him so that when I worship, my worship will be with holy hands. If that's the prayer of your heart today, or you just pray that right there where you're seated, I'm going to ask you in just a minute as we sing, just to let somebody know. You can let somebody beside you know, a family member. You can find me after the service if you'd like, or you can come up to the front this morning. Maybe you'd like to put your roots down here at Crossroads today and say, you know what? I've been visiting for a while, but this is a place I want to call home. I want to grow. I want to worship. If so, you'll be, you're, I just want to invite you during this closing song for you to come down as well and let that known, be known this morning. Whatever God has laid on your heart to do, would you respond in obedience? I'm going to ask my friend Corey to come join me as we pray. Father, would you have your way during this service on this very special Mother's Day? Would you speak to our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to have a song of invitation, a closing song. I'll be here at the front along with Corey, and you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next